You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for smoked whitefish dip with horseradish. Sounds amazing. And now for something completely different, a new entree in the much neglected seafood category on this site. I know this didn't get past most of you. That is how not so secretly fish averse I am. Sure, I've come around to mussels, to clams, and even to oysters, but I've been known to make some limited advances in the areas of shrimp, lobster, halibut, and tuna. But for the most part, my seafood appreciation level is pitifully low. Lest you think that I delight in this, I proudly flaunt my fish-free kitchen apron as if it were some sort of culinary triumph. The truth is that it feels like a failure. It bothers me. I fight it and I do not always win. But every so often, something sounds so wonderful that it pierces through all of my apprehension, which is exactly what happened when this recipe showed up in my tasting table email a few weeks ago. The recipe is like a tag cloud populated with every ingredient I cannot say no to. Sour cream, Worcestershire, horseradish, Creole mustard, which I picked up just to see if we'd like it, and oh, we very much do. Smoked paprika, celery, scallions, cayenne, lemon juice, and then, as if I hadn't already fallen in love, the chef, Chris Shepard of Underbelly in Houston, inspired by Donald Link and Ryan Pruitt's smoked tuna dip at Peche in New Orleans, serves it on saltine crackers, something I haven't had in my kitchen in too many years. It's deliciously lowbrow and highbrow, and wait, we totally forgot to discuss the fish, didn't we? I suppose you could make this with tuna, smoked if you can find it. I don't think this dressing would taste bad on shredded paper, honestly. If we were, but uh, even, oh, or more edibly, egg salad. But Tasting Table told me to put it on smoked whitefish. And given that I pretty much live up the street from the greatest, oldest smoked fish emporium there is, it was an easy decision for this spoiled New Yorker, which also led me to the discovery of their sweet, lightly pickled cabbage salad, which will be my new addiction. But I think that no matter where you buy yours, the dip will be worthy addition to your bagel brunch, lunch, dinner, or snack rotation. Here's the recipe. Smoked whitefish dip with horseradish. Serves four to six. This is adapted just barely from Chris Shepard's Via Tasting Table. I made a few changes. I skipped the Tabasco and the Jalapeno, figuring that the Cayenne, which I used much less of, hoping the kids would try this, would be enough for the heat that we wanted. I also skipped the Yellow Onion. I don't love it raw. I'd use red or white instead, if you're um, like me on this. And I figured the scallion and chives would provide enough onion flavor. Definitely consider this a flexible recipe and make the adjustments that you think you'd prefer. Finally, I found that it made a little more dressing than I needed. We're keeping the rest around for a future tuna or other salad. You'll want about one and a quarter pounds of whole bone-in skin-on smoked whitefish to get one pound skinned and flaked. At Russ and Daughters, which my son misreads as Russian Daughters, <laughs> and no, we do not correct him, where I bought mine, 
Their whole whitefish range from two and a half to three pounds and they will sell you half of one. You also need one half cup of mayonnaise, one half cup of sour cream, one tablespoon of prepared horseradish, one tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, two tablespoons of Creole mustard or a mustard that you prefer, one teaspoon of smoked paprika, zest and juice from two lemons, two tablespoons Tabasco sauce, see note, I skipped this, one teaspoon of cayenne pepper, I used much less, three green onions, thinly sliced, white and green parts, one stalk of celery, finely diced, one half of jalapeno, finely chopped, I skipped this, and one half medium yellow onion, finely diced, I skipped this too. One pound of skinned and flaked smoked whitefish, salt and pepper to taste, and saltine crackers to serve. One tablespoon of finely chopped shot chives for garnish. Make the dressing by mixing the mayonnaise, sour cream, horseradish, Worcestershire, mustard, paprika, zest, and lemon juice, hot sauce if you're using, cayenne to taste, green onions, celery, jalapeno if you're using, and onion in a medium bowl. Season with salt and pepper to taste. Place the skinned and flaked whitefish in a larger bowl. Add dressing to taste. We used about three quarters of it total. And adjust the seasonings with salt and pepper. Serve with crackers, garnished with chives. Next recipe is for roasted peppers with capers and mozzarella. Most of the time, I don't choose the recipes that I share here. They choose me. I'll be bumming around, reading my epics, keeping to myself, when suddenly the urge for rhubarb muffins will come upon me, and I will have no choice but to address it, or remain distracted until I break down and, you know, address it. Other times, the market controls me, as will happen when you live in a climate that deprives you of field-fresh produce for over half the year, leaving you to go completely berserk and overdo it in the months that you're graced with it, bringing home buckets when you only have enough stomachs in your family to require a small armload. But with the 20 months of parenting under my belt, I'm long overdue to introduce a new reason to cook. My toddler, he's got cravings too. It started one night at Motorino when he was in the middle of another of his hunger strikes, we'll call it, where he's just not that hungry, and we ordered both the roasted pepper salad and appetizer meatballs in hopes to quietly tempt him into, well, you know, eradicating crankiness through the consumption of life-sustaining calories. We'll call it enjoying good food. And lordy, he went nuts for the peppers. Slurp, slurp, slurp. It was hard to believe that just hours before he'd overturned his lunch in disgust. A week later, we returned. I'm currently fixated on a certain pizza that you see. And the peppers elicited the same reaction. And so it only made sense that I would create the dish at home. I'm an antipasta kind of cook in the summer, which is to say I'm happy to avoid turning on the oven whenever I can. It's only the first week of June, but somehow stickier than late July in New York City right now. If I can make a big batch of something marinated and we can arrange platefuls of it along with a baguette, cured meats, cheese, and a green salad at dinner each night until it's gone, I absolutely will. However, I will turn on the oven for one thing, and that is to roast my peppers for the better part of an hour. 
I prefer this over blistering them on the stove, which makes them easy to peel, but not su subtle and sweet, cooked as they get in the oven. After peeling their skin and cutting them into strips, I let them sit overnight in some salt, garlic, uh, pepper, and red wine vinegar, which uh, punched up their flavor just a little bit. When we're ready to eat it, we add a little more vinegar if needed, olive oil, and sliced mozzarella on top. Well, I'm using the term we loosely as parents of toddlers probably know how it went when this was served. Roasted peppers, yuck. Hey, more for us. Here's the recipe. Marinated roasted peppers with capers and mozzarella. This makes about four cups of marinated peppers. You'll need six bell peppers. You can mix the colors, um, get a mix of colors if you'd like, go for it. Uh, one quarter cup of red wine vinegar, one clove of garlic minced, salt to taste, freshly ground black pepper to taste, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, two tablespoons of capers drained, two tablespoons of flat leaf parsley chopped, this is optional, one half pound ball of mozzarella sliced, this is a great place to use the really fresh stuff if you can get it. You're going to roast the peppers by preheating the oven to 400 degrees. Line the peppers on a large baking sheet and roast them for 45 minutes to one hour using tongs to rotate them a quarter of the way, rotisserie style, every 15 minutes. It's safer to extend the cooking time than shorten it as the skins will only come off easily if they are fully cooked. So once they're fully roasted, cover the pepper tray with another piece of foil and let the peppers cool. When they're cool enough to handle, remove the skins and remove the seeds and slice sections of pepper into one quarter inch wide strips. Toss the peppers with red wine vinegar, garlic and a few pinches of salt. Cover and let marinate for an hour or overnight and up to four days in the fridge. To serve, arrange the peppers on a plate Adjust the seasonings, adding salt, freshly ground black pepper, or additional vinegar to taste. Drizzle with olive oil and sprinkle with capers and parsley and arrange mozzarella over the salad. Eat with some crusty bread and a glass of wine, preferably al fresco. After that, since it is quite warm here in Colorado, I am going to read a recipe for baked Alaska. Over the summer, my husband and I took turns taking our son out for dinner one night a week to give him a break from, I mean, not to point fingers or anything, the occasional yelling, food-flinging, dinner antics of the interloper, a.k.a. his younger sister. On one of my evenings, he pointed to the top of one of the many mirrored covered walls at the restaurant with a menu scrawled over it and said, What's a baked Alaska? Well, son, I began, because let's not pretend I don't live for this kind of stuff. It's a dessert in which ice cream is wrapped in cake and then covered in a marshmallowy frosting that's toasted, and then they light it on fire. Can we get one of those? Look, I don't know what stuff you're made of, but I consider telling a six-year-old that ice cream wrapped in cake, frosting, and fire exists, but not for them, is cruel and unusual punishment. So we ordered it, and I tried to warn him that they might not do the fire thing, and it w maybe won't be as cool as I made it sound. And then this happened. There's photos on smittenkitchen.com. 
And don't worry, I don't like text my husband the video and say, you can probably quit now because I just won at dinner with Jacob or anything. Unbecoming and immature like that. No, no, no. The joke was on me because I bet you know what came up next, don't you? Mom, can you make me one of these for my birthday? Gulp. Uh, sure. Note to self, learn how to make baked Alaska. Fast forward a couple of months, and boom, his birthday week was here, and somehow I hadn't gotten far on this beyond thinking, what did I get myself into? I started looking at recipes that involved homemade ice cream, and that's great and all if you wish, but as my son is perfectly happy with good old-fashioned chocolate vanilla strawberry trifecta from the store, I decided to save my energies. Many recipes either had you make a cake from scratch or box mix or use a store-bought pound cake, but here we have a fondness for frozen brownies, extra chewy and fudgy, and my favorite recipe is one bowl, so I made that instead. The frosting is just a meringue, and we've totally got that down. Plus, I learned that you can frost it and freeze it for hours and more before you need it, meaning that it was easy to get a lead on this. Wait, was this easy? Wait for it. Birthday candle time arrived and the lights were dimmed while everyone waited for this masterpiece to emerge from the kitchen. My husband and I were frantically watching YouTube videos on our phones about how to flambe a dessert because like everything else in parenting and probably life, we had no idea what we were doing. The cake was melting on the counter. I was trying to figure out how to warm brandy without cooking the flammable alcohol off, and of course putting a lit match to a cup of alcohol is terrifying. I, I rather like my eyebrows, and also my home. How was your seventh birthday, kid? Oh, my mom burst into flames. But it turned out to be a veritable kitchen of flame, and you guys, it turns out that if you set a whole cake on fire for a kid to blow out, nobody even notices that you forgot to buy birthday candles. Now, I understand that turning seven and setting cakes on fire is pretty exciting stuff. We could stop right there, but we're not because I've been fidgeting in the background all month trying to figure out how to tell you something cool was happening but couldn't decide how. Smitten Kitchen is a decade old. This is an older article, but she was very excited back then. Little website I started in 2006, fully planning for it to be over within six months. Because of the why, would anyone want to hear what a total non-expert had to say about cooking? Turned 10 this month. I tried so hard to come up with a perfect way to celebrate this and then got flummoxed and picked four. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that right now because I want to get, get to the recipe. So you can look at smittenkitchen.com if you're curious. Here's the recipe for baked Alaska. Serves 8 to 12. Time, 8 hours, but ideally 24, 1 hour of hands-on time. A few notes. I had, as I do, elaborate plans for this. I was going to soften the ice creams and freeze them in layers that lined the bowl so that when you sliced into it, you'd have arcs of ice cream. And I was, was going to be so special that I did one layer and it was a mess. Pulling up the plastic, melting off too fast, and I said, erg. And I just stopped scoop, started scooping the ice cream into the bowl instead. And it's, one, so much easier. Two, marbled and pretty. I will never do it another way. You can throw many things into this massive bowl. Fudge sauce, mint optional, butterscotch, salted caramel, rainbow sprinkles, cookie crumbles to add more texture and flavor. 
but you'll also be fine without it. We use a brownie here for the base. It's a ridiculously simple one bowl recipe and my favorite brownie and that recipe is also on smittenkitchen.com. However, frozen brownies are definitely not the easiest thing to cut compared to a soft round of cake. Um, be ready with a sharp or serrated knife, but it's totally worth the trouble. While this could theoretically be done over a few hours, especially if you have a freezer that's pretty good, I found it a lot easier to do over two days, mostly because at each step you have the, to get the ice cream out of the freezer, first to scoop it into the bowl mold, next to unmold it into the brownie base, and third, when you're frosting it into meringue, uh, and your ice cream is going to want to soften, so you're going to want to get it back in the freezer for a bit. You can also fully finish the cake long before you'll need it. The toasted meringue keeps really well in the freezer, even for several days. So here's the recipe, ice cream center. You'll need nonstick spray oil to coat the bowl. Six cups from three pints of ice cream, one flavor or a mix of flavors that you like. For the brownie base, you'll need three ounces of unsweetened chocolate, roughly chopped, one stick of unsalted butter, plus extra for the pan, one and a third cups of granulated sugar, two large eggs, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, one half teaspoon of flaky sea salt, or a quarter teaspoon of table salt, two-thirds cups of all-purpose flour. For the meringue frosting, you'll need three large egg whites, pinch of cream and tartar, cream of tartar, excuse me, two-thirds cup granulated sugar, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, a pinch or two of salt, and then for the flambe finish, this is optional, you'll need one ounce or two tablespoons of brandy or kirsch. Make and mold the ice cream center. You're gonna coat a 1.5 quart bowl, that's six cup, the rim should be about nine inches in diameter, lightly with nonstick spray. Line with two pieces, because you'll want a lot of overhang, of plastic wrap overlapping them in the center. Scoop ice cream into the bowl and any pattern or non-pattern that you wish. Use the overhang to cover exposed ice cream and press it mostly flat. Place this ice cream bowl in the freezer for three to six hours or overnight until fully firm again. Then you're gonna make your brownie base. Heat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Line a round baking pan slightly larger than the diameter of your ice cream bowl, about eight to nine inches, with parchment paper and butter the parchment and sides of the pan. In a medium heat-proof bowl over gently simmering water, melt the chocolate and butter together until only a couple of unmelted bits remain. Off the heat, stir until smooth and fully melted. You can also do this in the microwave in 30 second bursts, stirring between each. Then you're gonna whisk in the sugar and then the eggs one at a time, then vanilla and salt. Stir in flour with a spoon or flexible spatula and scrape the batter into the prepared pan, spread until even. Bake for 25 to 30 minutes or until a toothpick inserted into the center comes out batter free. Let cool in the pan or on a rack for 15 minutes, then run a knife around the brownie to loosen it and flip out of a pan to, and onto the cooling rack. You might need to bang it around a little bit, but it will come out best while it's still warm. So let's read here. The first time I wait until it was totally cold and nope, 
put the cooling rack with the brownie right into the freezer to fully cool and firm up for about 30 minutes. Place the brownie on cake serving plate. Use the outline of the ice cream bowl to mark the size you want to trim the brownie to and then cut away. Don't forget to share the scraps or not. Use the plastic covering the bowl mold as handles to yank the firm ice cream out of the bowl and onto the brownie. Trim the brownie further if needed, then return the ice cream topped brownie cake to the freezer to firm again, one to two hours. Next you're going to make the meringue. Beat the egg whites with a pinch of cream of tartar and an electric mixer until satiny peaks form and then beat in the sugar a spoonful at a time. I do spoonful, pause, spoonful, pause until all of the sugar has been added and then keep running the mixer until the meringue is stiff and shiny. Beat in the salt and vanilla. Frost the cake. You're going to spread the meringue in big messy swirls over the ice cream and brownie base. Return the cake to the freezer for as long as needed. You can use it right away, but it's best to let it refirm freeze for another hour. You can also leave it in for a full day. Next, you're going to toast the meringue. You can do this one of two ways. The oven method is to preheat the oven to 500 degrees, bake the cake until the meringue peaks are golden, about four minutes. The blowtorch method, touch the cake until it's toasted all over. Excuse me, torch the cake, not touch it. For both methods, if you're not going to need the cake right now, return it to the freezer until needed and take out five minutes before you're serving it. For the flambe finish, which is optional, please note, I have done this twice ever. It works, but I'm hardly an expert, and if there are more helpful tips offered in the comments, I'll be happy to point you to them. Fill a mug halfway with very hot water. Place alcohol in a shot glass and set it inside the hot water, so not letting the water spill in until the alcohol is very warm to the touch for about five minutes. Remove the now warm cup of alcohol from the water and this discard the water. Take a deep breath. Hold the hot cup of alcohol in an oven mitted hand. Light a match with the other and with the cake below you, begin to tip the alcohol as slowly as possible to the edge of the cup. Light the alcohol with a match. It's going to be low bluish kitten of a flame, I promise, and drizzle this burning alcohol over the cake. You can let it flame out or it can be blown out. Ours lasted about 15 to 30 seconds. To serve, you're going to serve that cake in thin wedges, cutting with a very sharp or serrated knife as frozen brownie is quite dense, chewy, and all the more rewarding because of it. The cake keeps in the freezer easily for a week and probably longer, and the meringue holds up surprisingly well. We're going to end this today with a recipe for a summer drink. You can have it either as a mocktail or a cocktail. Watermelon lemonade. This watermelon lemonade is bound to be a fan favorite at any barbecue or picnic. Watermelon is a summer fruit, and lemonade is definitely a summer drink, so paired together, it's the ideal summer drink. However, when you purchase store-bought lemonade, it's usually packed with sugar, so the watermelon here comes to the rescue by adding natural sweetness to the lemonade. So you're just going to need some watermelon. You could also use another type of melon, such as honeydew or cantaloupe. Um, and then lemon. You can use fresh lemons so that you can add in a beautiful garnish to your drink as well with the lemon 
uh, peel, and in a pinch you can use bottled lemon juice, and water. That's all you need. You can use filtered water or add a kick to this drink with sparkling water. If you are want to make it a cocktail, you could add vodka, tequila, or whiskey, and just make sure you put a cute little slice of watermelon on the edge of the glass and also slice a lemon too and it'll be darling as can be. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.